Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. Um, it's been a big week in our church. Um, the fourth and fifth grade retreat was earlier this week. I'm so thankful for Amber Hudler and the way she is bringing such depth and challenge to our children as they learn to walk with the Lord. And, and it was just phenomenal to be just kind of a fly on the wall for a little bit at that fourth and fifth grade retreat. Then, um, you know, we had the group lead for Tepa, Mexico that uh, Chad said earlier, and uh, pray for them as they're in Tepa. Keith just sent me a picture. Uh, they're in a house church right now in Tepa, Mexico, which is super cool. Um, then disaster relief has been phenomenal this week. And you probably saw all of our crew out there uh, in the first service. There was a, a big group of them that were here. Uh, we have a group staying at our church from Kentucky, from Missouri. Um, and, you know, there, there was 128,000 people without electricity in Tulsa. And trees have fallen all over the place. I just couldn't believe how, how bad it was in, in Tulsa. I don't know if you've driven down there, but oh my goodness. Um, it's been phenomenal to see these teams uh, come. Jonathan Watts was telling me he got to share the gospel with his whole street uh, because of disaster relief, because they were, they were just slammed. And, and it was just a great story, Jonathan. I appreciate you sharing with that team. He got to tell that team uh, today just how the Lord's using them. There's a need, though. Um, if We have about 60 people staying at our church this week. And Rob Rizzo today said, hey, can we get some desserts for them? And so I don't know if you want to make some brownies or... I'm pretty sure that with that new crumble cookie place in, in Owasso, um, I'm pretty sure that that snickerdoodle thing may be in heaven someday. I'm not sure, but that's a pretty legit cookie. Maybe you don't want a cookie thing. You should to go to crumble cookie when it opens and drop it off. Uh, I won't eat it, okay? I've got, I'm being held accountable by people not to eat too many of those. I mean, just too many. But, uh, but it's, um, uh, we are, we do want to bless them. So if you would not mind uh, dropping off some desserts uh, in the next couple of days, that'd be a blessing. Um, you know, it's interesting as you watch this, uh, these power outages in Tulsa, it, it reveals something in our culture. When you look at the impatience with power, now it's inconvenient. I get it. I mean, uh, the people in my, half of my neighborhood lost power this week in Owasso. But, but you know, what's interesting is, you, is it reveals something about our culture, about instant gratification. We're, we're really used to things working, and if it doesn't work, we get real frustrated, or, and we're really used to speed. And this is true at every level of our, of our culture. It's especially true when it comes to our money. When, when you look at the... the our, our struggle with instant gratification, the way we spend our money, the way we use our money, the way we save our money reveals something about how even in the church we're influenced by our culture. Uh, I, I looked up yesterday uh, just the first quarter in 2023 of consumer debt. This is not what the government owes. That's another conversation. This is just what people in the United States owe. That our consumer debt at this, in the first quarter of 2023 is $17.05 trillion. I'm not sure I have a frame of reference for that. I mean, you hear things like billion and trillion. It's hard to even put a category what that means. 
we just hear that come off of people's mouths and we just go, okay, cool, but um, that sounds bad. Um, and it is, but, but long-term debt is a real ball and chain that is crippling people. It's crippling people in the church. It often cripples churches. And, and um, this morning, where we are in the Word of God has a lot to say about the way we spend our money. And in fact, the passage we're looking at today gives us a biblical perspective on our money. Now, um, I hope you join us in the reading of the, of the Word of God. As a church, that's what we're doing. If you're visiting today, this in, in January 1, it's, it's cool, Sunday, January 1 was a Sunday morning. December 31st this year is a Sunday morning. So we as a body began reading through the Bible together starting January 1, and we're going to continue all the way through December 31st. And, and I would invite you, I would challenge you to just pick up where we are. It's on our app. It's, it, you can get a sheet of where we are this week. I don't want you to miss the incredible joy of reading through the Bible, just the raw Word of God. It's been so incredible. Uh, there's a man in the room today that they've, they're, they're joining our church uh, really soon, which is, I don't want to point him out because I want to put pressure on him. But, uh, but really soon, they're going to join our church. But he was telling me this week at lunch that reading through the Bible has transformed his life. And, and, and it's so, so true because God's word's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And it's incredibly powerful to read the Word of God. And, and if you've been with us, we just finished essentially the biography of Elijah. Now, Elijah was the man. I mean, he is, he is in the club, the very narrow club in Scripture of one of the two people that never died. Because Elijah got taken up into heaven in a, um, a, like a fiery chariot. That would have been a cool day, a cool experience. But, but Elijah, we, we kind of saw his life. Now, this week, we're in the, the, uh, the, the, we're in the time of Elisha. He, he took the mantle. He took the baton from Elijah. And, and Elisha is interesting because he's following the prophet Elijah, but his ministry doesn't look a lot like Elijah. Elisha's ministry, really, when you think about it, looks more like Jesus. Let's think about what Elisha did. We, 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 we read this week that Elisha helped a widow. That's a very important concept in Scripture. I'm so proud of our deacon body. Our deacon body, Darby Webster's our chairman, and, and, and Jim Brees is leading our deacons to care for widows and widowers better right now than we ever have. I'm so very thankful for what they're doing. Elisha started his miracles. That's what we're going to look at today, First, Second Kings chapter 4. You might turn your Bibles there. But, but Elisha starts his miracles with a widow. You see Elisha, and I want you to compare this with the life of Jesus. Just think about the ministry of Jesus that you know about. Elisha had a, had a widow that he performed a miracle. There was a barren woman that Elisha helped. There was a dead son that Elisha came, brought back to life. There was a hungry multitude that Elisha fed. There, there was a leper that Elisha, Elisha healed. Uh, he, he was constantly walking people through tough times. And so when you look at Elisha's life and ministry, you really can compare it to Jesus. Now, we have a practice in our church where we stand in honor of the Word of God. And, and I've learned in my almost 29 years of marriage that my wife 
often likes me to state the obvious. She wants me to say to her, honey, I love you. She wants me to say that. I think that's a good practice to state the obvious in your marriage. It's also good for our church. And so that's why when we read the word of God, we, it's a practice for us. We stand in honor of the word of God. And then after we read it, I'm going to state the obvious and just say, this is the word of the Lord. And I would love for you to respond by stating the obvious, saying, praise be to God. Let's stand together and let's read 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through 7, and let the Lord give us a biblical perspective on our money. Verse 1, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophet cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what, 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 what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into all the vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, now if, you, if you've been in our Bible reading, this story might sound a little familiar to Elijah's experience in 1 Kings 17. So there, there's, there's some similarities between Elijah and Elisha, but but here it's a little bit different because here's a widow that is desperate because of debt, not because of a famine. In 1 Kings 6, 17, that was a desperation because of a famine. This is def- desperation because of, because of a debt. Now she's unnamed. We don't know her name in, in, this, uh, in this miracle, but, but we know about her that she was married to one of the prophets. So we get that from the text. Um, From verse 1, you clearly see that this is a woman, she and her husband feared the Lord. They served the Lord well. And you can see this just from the text. You can can just hear it. But, But here's where she is. With her husband gone, she had this unexpected shift in her life. Her husband died. And she's in trouble. She's in debt. And... And now the creditors have come and they've said, all right, you can't pay your debt. We're taking your sons to work for us so that your debt can be paid off. I mean, think about that. Think of the loss that she must feel. feel. She's, she's grieving the loss of her husband. She finds herself, helpful, herself alone. And now she's facing the real threat that she's going to lose her sons too. Man. Now, there's a lot to process with this story, but first of all, 
I, I want us to think about what the Bible teaches about debt. Now, um, there, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about debt, talk about giving and life and, and how you spend your money. And, and one of the most popular verses that's used to preach against debt is Romans 13, 8. And that's an interesting verse, and it says this, no one, oh, excuse me, owe no one anything. Excuse me, owe no one anything except love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So this, this is a verse that's often used to say, see, you should never go into debt because you should owe no one anything. And, and you know, that's, a, that's a, a good idea, but it's not the context of that passage. That passage in Romans 13 is kind of couched in this responsibility of government and how we respond to government and to people. And, and, and basically the point of Romans 13.8 is that we, sh- we owe people this debt of love. And this is why I love what's happening at out of our church this week. I mean, disaster relief crews are going all over the city and they are, they're sharing the gospel. They're helping people. And, and we understand that we owe this city. We owe people around us. We owe them love. This is our calling. We're to love people. And as a follower of Christ, it moves us to love the world. And that's really the context of Romans 13. But, but the truth is, when you, when you think about debt, The Bible really doesn't say debt is a sin. All debt is a sin. It just doesn't say that. But but we've got to understand that if you go into debt, it comes with some limitations. In in Proverbs 22.7, a famous verse about debt, it says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now we see this, that, that this, this concept that if you go into debt, you are essentially putting yourself in servitude to whoever you owe money to. And, and, and we maybe lose sight of, of this idea that we read in Philippians. We read Philippians in, as a church. We read Philippians 4.19 that says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And, and, and so you could push me on this, even with this text, you could push me on this because we see from this widow that she was honoring the Lord. She and her husband both honored the Lord and she was in debt. You could push me on what I'm about to say. But is it possible that when we go into debt individually and corporately, Maybe that is a way of denying ourselves the opportunity to see God work. Maybe it's a way of us saying, we need, we're going to take matters into our own hands rather than trust the Lord. Now, you could push me on that because you see God providing for this widow in this way, but, but, but maybe going into debt in our lives is a way of saying, God, we don't trust you to provide. Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Um, This is kind of in the same vein of Proverbs 1, 10 through 19, where it warns about 
falling into traps. Let's think about a trap. A trap, um, Brady, I just saw him, he caught a fox at his house that killed his duck. He didn't kill the fox, he let it go. So all you people that, oh, actually we hunt, so it doesn't matter. But, um, but let's think about the characteristics of a trap. A trap is attractive. A trap is easy to get into, but a trap is hard to get out of. Doesn't that sound like debt in our country? And let's dig into this passage and let's consider some things. Look at verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children. Now notice something about this widow. Uh, Notice her faithful desperation. She is faithful in her desperation. And and, and she isn't turning away from God here. What does she do? She, She turns to the Lord and to his people. There's a great lesson there. When you're in times of desperation, turn to the Lord. Turn to the people of God. This is, a, I think, an opportunity we have, a calling we have, a blessing that we have to turn to the Lord. It shows that God sees, I mean, this is a widow. She, she's not, probably not that high status. She's a normal person. We don't even know her name, but yet God sees her needs, and, and God answers her prayer. And what does she do? She turns to the Lord in the middle of her desperation. There's a great lesson there. But here's what I want us to see. It's very clear in this text that, and the first point, if you're taking notes, is this, that God is working in my life during times of financial need. That that if you're today in a time of financial need, I want you to understand something really important. God is working in your life. God is moving in your life. And and if you're in a time of need right now, a financial need in your life, maybe you are in debt. Maybe you are struggling financially. This is a time to be thankful. You might be going, what are you talking about? I mean, when's the last time that you couldn't pay your bills and said, hey, let's have a party. This is awesome. Thank the Lord. Woohoo. But let's consider what James says. James 1 is the brother, James is the brother of Jesus. He says in James 1.9, let the brother in low degree rejoice. That is a, a brother that's facing financial time, struggles, financial difficulties. And, and, and God's word tells us that if we are in a time and when, not if, when we go through times of financial difficulty, we should rejoice. And let's recognize that God is at work. So to pay attention to what he's doing. And, and this flies in the face of, of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is prevalent in Tulsa. I mean, think about it. We're in the ORU shadow of the world. The, the, the messages of God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Maggie, my daughter, is, is going to come home from, from Nigeria in a couple of days. She FaceTimed me today for my birthday. I missed it, but I got a text from her. But last night when we FaceTimed, she just had tears in her eyes and said, Dad, the, the, the prosperity gospel is paralyzing 
people in Nigeria. And this idea that God always is going to bring better to your life. Now, is it better to serve the Lord? Yes. But in the world, we're going to have difficult times. And if you, if you buy into that lie that God always wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, then Jesus was a terrible example. Because think about him. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He said that to his disciples. The Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. But, but here's the point. We read in Philippians a couple of weeks ago that not, uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says, not that I uh, am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And what you see in the scriptures, regardless of the situation you are in, if you're in a time of financial need, it's an opportunity to learn contentment. A godly life develops an attitude of contentment. And, and this is true about following the Lord, that we're to learn to be content with what we have. And that seems un-American, doesn't it? That we should be content with where we are and what we have. But the, the secret to life is, is not, um, um, is really learning to be happy with what we have, not with what we don't have. And, and have you noticed that, that the people that are just happy with what they have, they're inspiring, aren't they? They're inspiring to us. Learn to be content with what you have. But look at verse 2. Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she says, look at what she says, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So here she is going, I don't have much. All I've got is this oil. You know, you see, it's so glaring that tight times are critical opportunities to trust the Lord. The times when it's tight, see here, what does she do? She's, she's like, I'm going to Elijah and, and I'm, uh, Elisha, excuse me, and I'm going to Elisha and saying, look, this is all I have. And, and here's the thing, you may not have much, but I'll tell you, little in the hands of God is huge huge. And, 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 and I love how she responds here. I love her response to, uh, to this moment. Because what she's learning, she's learning that, that Romans 1.17, um, uh, I mean, nugget of, of wisdom. In Romans 1.17, it says, the righteous shall live by faith, it says. And here she is going to Elisha going, hey, look, this is all I have. And, and what she learns is that God is the source of provision for everything in her life. And I want you to know that when it comes to everything in your life, God is the source of provision. And I'll tell you, there is great power in looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm going to hold my life like this. But what do we often do? We often want to hold our life like this. Not just your money, but everything in our lives. We want to say, this is mine. I got this. But no, we're, we're learned as, we learn as followers of Jesus, Lord, we, we, we do this. We open our hands. We owe, well, Lord, you're the giver of everything. We, we trust you with it. And, and, and we get to experience that Ephesians 3, 
14 through 21 um, revelation that to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And, and this, is, this is something she experiences, that she, she, she realizes that, uh, God, I, I can trust you. Um, I want you to know God sometimes takes us through times of financial struggle to teach us that he's faithful. So I don't want you to miss that God is at work in times of financial need. But you know what else you see? You see that God is at work, God is working in my life in times of financial blessing. God, God works in times of blessing, in times of financial need, in times of financial blessing. Look at her faith. Look at her obedience. Look at verse 3. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels. And notice what he says, and not too few. Hey, go get a bunch. Go get a bunch of vessels. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into all the vessels and when one is full, set it aside. Look at verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. You know what she doesn't say? She didn't look at Elisha and go, what are you talking about? I got, what do you mean vessels? And not a few, what are you talking about? She doesn't gripe. She doesn't complain. She doesn't doubt. She's like, okay. Boy, there's a lot to learn from this widow. Because how often do, do we hear what God says and we go, no, I don't want to do that. God, I'm not going to do what you say. Or nah, yeah, and then we justify kind of, well, you don't really mean that. I mean, we're in the day of grace, not the day of law. We don't have to really follow guidelines. Where'd we get that? I mean, God has spoken and we are called to obey his voice. God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, meaning that we are to walk in the way that he tells us to walk. We see in the New Testament, Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're wise. And, and this is the calling we have. And, and, and this widow is so very inspiring to me because Elisha gives her specific instructions of how this problem will be solved. And it's from the Lord and she immediately obeys. She doesn't question him. And what does God do? He turns her small possessions into a massive blessing. And her obedience goes, she, she moves right here from a time of need to a time of crazy abundance, life-changing abundance. This is a life-changing moment for her. And her obedience to God is stri stri striking to me. And her willingness to say, God, I'm going to do what you say. And, and here's, here's an important lesson. Are we doing, are you doing what God says when it comes to the way you spend your money, you live your life, the way you purchase, the way you see your resources. Because, look, God's faithful to provide. He, this lowly widow, he does a miracle in her life. 
And I'll tell you, watching God provide is miraculous. Now, um, here's the thing. I, I look at this as a, I read this in my own life as a, as a husband, as a father. I also think about this as a pastor. You know, it's one of the, re- this passage really, the more I studied it, the more I'm more committed than ever to not going to debt as a church. To trust the Lord for his provision. You know, I have a, I have a friend who's a pastor and, and I can be jealous a little bit because they, their church, they, they have about $8 million. They just went into an $8 million campaign in their church. And they just took on an $8 million debt in their church. And you know what? They're going to make changes right away. They're also going to pay, I, I'm not a math person, but, um, uh, but I don't know what the interest of that will be over the years, but their payment's going to be about $56,000 a month as a church. And, and you know, we probably have about $8 million worth of work to do around here when it comes to the mission center and the, the stuff we're doing around here. Now, I'm not, we're not responsible for that church. That's their church. But I can tell you for this one, you know what I'm praying? Is that God blesses our businesses and we pay as we go. You know, we've learned this, haven't we? I mean, think about what God has done in the life of our church. We have, um, we, I mean, before I came as your pastor, this church paid off all their debt with no pastor, no senior pastor employed here. And over the last 12 years, look at what we've learned. We've watched the Lord move us to build the mission center and buy that 10 acres of land. And we built the building and launched that ministry that's doing a whole bunch of good in Tulsa. And we did it without debt. We had to renovate that fellowship hall. Remember how stinky that fellowship hall used to be? Anybody remember that? It was stinky. Now we, we use it like crazy. We have funerals over there. It's amazing what we get to do in that room now that we've renovated. We did it without, without debt. We answered the call to go to Tulsa. We renovated that place as much as we could without going into code violations. And, and, uh, and we did that without debt. I mean, as Chad said, we just finished our bathrooms without debt. That's, that's just called doing your job. This is our job. I look at what we got to do around here. We got work to do. Now, I just want to say, like right now, as, as, at, our, at our church, our, our operating budget it's be- is better than it's ever been. We have never been as strong with our operating budget as we are today. That's great. Yeah, thank the Lord for that. But I'll tell you something. It's also time to do some work, to do some infrastructure, to take care of our house. I hope you've been reading your Bible this, with us. 
Because you cannot read what we have read this week without a genuine conviction that we've got to take care of the house of God. Now in 2023, it looks like things like broadcast and, and online, and it looks like, that's what it looks like in 2023. It didn't look like that when the, in the days of the temple. But, but look, here's the, here's the lesson from this widow that we see. Now, now, God has put us in a time of prosperity. God is working during times of prosperity. And we need to follow him. And we need to resist some temptations. Now, if you are in a time of prosperity, there's two temptations you've got to resist. And the first temptation is this. Resist the temptation of self-sufficiency. You know, we have a tendency sometimes when things are going well and when, it, when it's financially strong that we think we're self-made people. We think, look what we did. We better never have that posture. We, we, we always need the Lord. Let's think about it. We live in a nice part of, of, of Tulsa, in Owasso, and, and electricity went out. And look how chaotic it went just with a few days without electricity. Let me tell you something. There's obvious, and you don't have to think too far and think too hard to recognize that we need the Lord every day. And here's, here's this temptation that we've got to avoid as we realize that we are in a time of our budget's good. Let's not live thinking we're self-sufficient. Remember what Moses said to the children of Israel? He said that very thing. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 11 through 14 says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. During times of prosperity, it's, there's a tendency to forget the Lord, that we did this. We did this on our own. There's none of us are self-made people. We're, we are not a self-made church. God has moved in our lives. God has blessed us, and we've got to recognize that. Resist self-sufficiency. You also have to resist the temptation of self-centeredness. That's an important temptation to resist. Sometimes the more we have, the more we want for ourselves. And the goal in times of prosperity is to remain others-centered. Hey, we've done that. We've done a pretty good job of that over the last 12 years. We, we, one of the things I love about our church is we are others-centered. It's an important calling. It's an important place to be. Ephesians 4.28 says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. But I don't want us to miss verse 7. Look at verse 7. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now, I want us to just stop and think about this for a second. If you have, your, if you, if you have a pen and you have, you're writing in your Bible, which I love that, 
you ought to underline the word live. If you're looking at a digital device, I want you to imprint the word live in your mind and in your heart. Because Elisha says, go pay all your debts and you, are, you and your sons can live on the rest. I think that's really big. I think that's really important. I don't want to miss that from this text. This widow was able to live on the rest. I, I can't prove this from the text, but, but I, can, um, I bet she didn't go into debt again. You know what I bet she did? I bet she lived on the rest. I bet she lived. And, when, and here's the thing. When you start giving, guess what? You start living. There is so much joy in giving to somebody else. That's why I, I stood right here a few minutes ago with 12 people that came here, drove here last night from Kentucky to cut down trees. Why? Because they're like, hey, we've learned the joy of giving and serving the Lord. It's such a joy to be here. And here's the thing, as I, as I look at this, I think the Bible's clear in this text that, that God is calling us to learn to excel in our giving. And I want to ask you, have you learned that, that the blessing of, of excelling in your giving? Here's the thing, when you, when you think about what God's doing through his word and how he's spoken through his word, um, what, what happens as we grow up spiritually? Well, what happens is as you become to know, as you come to know the Lord more and more, you start to look like Him. Spiritual growth means that God is molding you and shaping you into His image. Let's think about this. God is the greatest giver that we've ever seen. And when we grow up spiritually, we are moved to give like he gives. Think about how God gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I've mentioned this before and I think this may surprise you, but but of, of the top four words that are used in Scripture. The fourth most used word in the Bible is the word believe. 272 times the word believe is used. The third most used word in the Bible is pray. 371 times the word pray is used. Love is the second most used word, and that's 714 times. But you know what the most used word in the Bible is? Give. It's used 2,162 times. Over and over again, you see God giving to his people for the purpose of God using his people to then give to others. And, and you know my prayer is, as a body, as a church, that we are faithful I pray that you, and I pray that you hear this today, you see this today from this time, this widow that, that we get to see in Scripture. This miracle took place in her life that if you are right now in a time of financial need, God is at work in your life, lean into him. 
I just saw in the last service a, a, a brand new young couple in our church. They've been in my office. They're in just really uh, bad debt right now. And, and I'm watching them take step after step getting out of it. And you know, they're struggling through it. And you know what? This struggle, God's teaching them. God's working in them. And you know what I'm seeing in their heart and their life is confident, a confidence every, every week. It's beautiful. God's faithful to provide. I, I've been with, I'm praying for some businessmen in our church that God, is, that God blesses the work of their hands because they're starting to get a vision for God, you have given me the ability to serve you through business. I've seen this over and over again. And you know what I'm praying? I'm praying that God helps us as a church to never forget what he's done in our lives. He has provided in supernatural ways. So as we move forward, and you know, I'm 52 today. Can you believe that? I knew people who were 52 and now I am. I am three years away from getting letters from my father-in-law who sends birthday cards to senior adults. I'm three years away from senior adult ministry. Are you kidding me? But you know what birthdays do? Birthdays cause you to step back and evaluate. Am I okay? Okay. I think about the time I have left. And I think about the blessing. You know, I'll, I'll let you know what that question was about here in just a second. But I not only have one granddaughter in this church, but I'm about to have a second grandchild in this church. Yeah. I've known for like three weeks, and you know how hard that's been for me to keep my mouth shut? And so I hadn't seen them, but I asked permission earlier this week. But look, let's build a church here, folks. Let's build a church that, that springboards into this community, that grows where we're planted, that points the world to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, let's not forget that those are, there's a lot of churches around here. We live in a city that doesn't know Christ. Most people will wake up today and look at their ceiling and not have the hope of Christ. And God's called us here. Let's build a church. Okay, I gotta stop preaching. So we're gonna have an invitation. Joe, come on up. Now here's what we need to do today in our invitation. We need to pray for our disaster relief crews. Now, we had about 40 uh, people in yellow shirts in the first service. We only got one yellow shirt today, so you're going to get all the prayers. I want you to come up. Come on. If you're a disaster relief guy in our church, stand up right where you are. Is there any of our disaster relief guys in here? I know they're all. Come on up, Craig. Come on. We're going to gather around them and pray over them. Because you know what's happening this week with our disaster relief, our divine appointments, open doors. And like what happened in Jonathan's neighborhood. So we're going to pray for these guys. And our prayer team is around here. If you're in our prayer team, I want you to kind of go around the room.
Um, maybe you need prayer over this time in your life, this time of financial need. Or maybe you need wisdom in this time of financial blessing. You know what? We have people that will pray for you, pray with you. Maybe you need Christ in your life. I need some people to come and let's, and, and we may get too crowded over them. Just gather, get on your knees. Let's pray for disaster relief today. Some need to come and pray for our church. Pray for our wisdom as we reach out to this community, as we build a church right here. Pray for us. Let's trust the Lord in times of financial need. Let's trust the Lord in times of financial blessing. Let's learn to excel in our giving, which makes, it, makes us look more like Jesus. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. Move us to pray right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You come right where you are. Let's go. Let's pray for these disaster relief. Let's go. Let's pray for disaster relief. So let's get going.